A reading from the fifth chapter of Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, beginning with verse 9. For God has destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up each other as indeed you are doing. But we appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and have charge of you in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, beloved, to admonish the idlers. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with all of them. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise the words of prophets, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. May the God of peace Himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who called you is faithful. And He will do this. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I have a third story of the creation. If you're biblically astute and have read Genesis, you know there's two stories of creation in Genesis. But there's also a third one that I've found. And it seems that it begins with the dog. And if you've ever had a dog, that makes sense, right? Because dogs are kind-hearted, good things. So it seems that God created the dog and said, Sit all day by the door of your house and bark at anyone who comes in or walks past. For this I will give you a lifespan of 20 years. The dog said, That's a long time to be barking. How about only 10 years? And I'll give you back the other ten. So God agreed. God created the monkey and said, Entertain people, do tricks, and make them laugh. For this, I will give you a 20-year lifespan. The monkey said, Monkey tricks for 20 years? That's a pretty long time to be performing all the time. How about I give you ten back like the dog did? And God agreed. God created the cow and said, You must go into the field with Henry all day long and suffer under the sun. Have calves and give milk to support the farmer's family. For this I will give you a lifespan of 60 years. The cow said, Hey, that's kind of a tough life to live for 60 years. How about 20 and I give you 40 back? And God agreed again. 
God created man and said, Eat, sleep, pray, marry, and enjoy your life. For this, I'll give you 20 years. But man said, Only 20 years? Could you possibly give me my 20? The 40 the cow gave back, the 10 the monkey gave back, and the 10 the dog gave back? That makes 80. Is that okay? Okay, said God, you asked for it. So that's why our first 20 years, we eat, sleep, pray, and enjoy ourselves. For the next 40 years, we slave in the sun to support our family. For the next 10 years, we do monkey tricks to entertain grandchildren. And for the last 10 years, we sit on the front porch and bark at everyone. (laughs) And life has now been explained to you. And somewhere in that was this little 20-year snippet that sounded like a pretty good life, didn't it? And all the rest of it, maybe not so much. And we would hanker for that, wouldn't we? Wouldn't we want to have, if, we could, if somebody would offer to say, you will have at least 20 years in your life that will be the best and most fruitful and great and godly and hopeful and holy and happy years you could ever imagine. I wonder, would you take that deal? Anybody? You'd be hoping for another window with 60 years in it, maybe? Just say yes. Okay, good. That's helpful to me. Because you know we're created to be holy and happy. That's one of John Wesley's favorite things to say about life. That somehow the God of holy and happiness was going to be at work in us and bring us to holiness and happiness. And that the two go together. And you really can't be happy unless you're holy. And it's awfully hard to believe that holiness matters unless you're happy. But somewhere in that, there's this great encouraging idea that there's a good life for us. Like, for instance, one time this man and woman were fighting and they had really been kind of savage with each other and the words had gotten ugly and the wife decided she was going to give her husband the silent treatment for a month. She decided he deserved that. So about three and a half weeks in, his husband looked at her and said, you know, we've been getting along pretty good. Not exactly the kind of good life we're looking for, is it? We don't need a life that's good because there's no challenge in it. We don't need a life that's good because there's nothing that ever goes wrong in it. We need a life that's good because God shows up even in the worst of it. And how does God do that? Well, in Bethlehem, it was in a little child. This week, it will be in the face of someone else who loves God and comes into your life to encourage you and to lift you up, Paul says. To encourage you and to lift you up. The good life. Remember those horrible beer commercials from the 70s and early 80s? They mostly played them in Pittsburgh Steelers football games, right, Jay? Wasn't that right? Yeah, doesn't get any better than this, they said. What a horrible thought that is. That there would be such a low threshold to how good things can be for us. How good can this life be? Is a good life possible? I got to thinking about this because a commentator named William Broson said about today's text that what Paul is offering the Thessalonian church 
and is offering us today is a discourse on the good life. What it looks like and how it's achieved. What it looks like and how it's achieved. There's nothing in here about chasing after security. There's nothing in here about putting yourself first. There's nothing in here about making sure that you're number one. There's nothing in here about making sure that you got everything you want or get everything you want for Christmas. There's nothing in here about making sure that you always look your best, that you're always held in a good light, that people always think well of you. Nothing in here about anything about propping up yourself. But what does Paul say? He says, encourage one another and build up each other. If you want a good life, make your business encouraging people. Make it your business to lift others up, to bear each other up. Make it your business to be in other people's business. Ask them, Robbie, how is your soul? Because Robbie wants y'all to ask him that, don't you, Robbie? Sure. Robbie says, Sure. But like I told you a couple weeks ago and last week, that has been our way as a people called Methodist is to ask each other, what are you struggling with? How are you? Are you okay? How can we together be more okay? We can encourage one another and bear each other up as we see one another struggle. What does that mean? It means our faith is not just our business. It means our life in Christ is not just to us alone. It means that my faith is for you and your faith is for me. I went to see a young woman one time who had missed a lot of church to talk to her and she said, I've been going through some stuff that makes me feel unworthy of being there. And I told her when that happens to me, I show up to be in the middle of y'all's faith. We need one another's encouragement. We need the lifting up of saying, I too have faith in Christ. I too struggle. I too trust that Christ will make me holy and happy. Encourage one another. Bear up each other. Then he throws in this thing about loving the pastor. Y'all heard that, right? I'm going to skip over that, but I want to make sure you heard it. Love your Sunday school teachers, your pastors, all those people who labor among you, the leaders of your church, those people whose names are in this booklet I gave you today. Those people who labor in front of you to give you opportunities to serve others and to see Christ at work. Paul says to love them, to love them, and esteem them highly. And then he says to be at peace among yourselves. I would bet that if we're honest, we might be willing to admit that sometimes the difficulties that come in our life come because we're in love with drama. And we're in love with the idea that something needs to be wrong for us to be happy and have something to talk about somebody about. But we can reshift that and celebrate peace instead. What would happen in our nation today, in our political, in our sociological discourse, if we started celebrating the good stuff as much as we gripe about our difficulties and our troubles? Can you imagine how great that would be if for just an hour every day, the 24-hour newscast focused on the good things that happen in our nation and the people who care for others and give their life in the place of others who are suffering and feed others and house others and love people more than they love themselves. 
Instead of that only happening, you know, for an hour on Sundays. Can you imagine what it would be like to live in a world where peace was celebrated more than violence? It'd probably make a horrible video game and horrible plastic Nerf toys. You know, nothing says the love of Jesus like a plastic war toy, right? What if we celebrated peace as hard as we celebrate death and violence and destruction? Surely we could try that in the church. You want to have a good life, Paul says, encourage one another, build each other up, celebrate the people who lead you, and hold up peace. Be at peace among yourselves. Make peace as much of an effort as you make everything else. Then he says, admonish idlers. Admonish idlers. Encourage people who feel disconnected or just are disconnected to get involved. Then he says, encourage the faint-hearted. Bear up the weak, he says. Be patient with all of them. Be patient with those people who can't quite get through something. I've told you this before, but it fits. I had a pastor friend who, when he was a teenager, was strung out on drugs. I have a pastor friend. When a teenager was strung out on drugs, went to his church for help, and they told him, when you get cleaned up, we'll be here for you. Adna, can we not be that church? Can we be the church that would say to someone, we will walk this hard mile with you? I think you are that kind of church. You should celebrate that. Not once have we come with a need that that need has not been met here. Not once. When we came and said there's a young woman who waits on tables at fat who has cancer and needs help paying her bills, you help pay her bills. That is who God has designed you to be and wants you to be. And we can increase in that as we celebrate peace and we look for the weak and we look for those people who are faint-hearted and employ ourselves in the business of building them up. And guess what? If you're doing those things so far, you're well on your way to a good life. Instead of just hoping for a decent 20 years somewhere in the middle. It gets even better. He says, don't repay evil for evil. I think back on those times when I was young and somebody said something smart alecky to me and about an hour later I thought about the perfect comeback and this was before cell phones so we couldn't do anything about it. Remember that? What if we stopped that habit? What if we let the evil things, the ungood things, the rude things, the hurtful things that people do to us die in their action of doing them? Would the world be different? Would we be different? Would church be different? Would everything about us be different? I beg to say that the answer is yes, and then we might find our 20 years expanded a little bit more. And we're bearing out into the fringe of having a good life. Because we refuse to let evil suck us in, devour us. Remember that line in the Old Testament where God said to Cain, sin is crouching at your door seeking to devour you? Every time somebody comes to us with something hurtful, that's their hope. That we will engage in it with them and that we will be devoured by our own hate. Paul says if we can quit that, we can get closer to the good life. Always seeking to do good for one another. 
And so he says to us, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. He's not telling you to keep your eyes closed while you drive and pray. He's telling you to be available to God. To celebrate everything in your life. With thanksgiving and hope. To speak to God as if you were a person right beside you. To share in the thought that God is in your life. To let that thought drive how you think about life. Which brings him to that next thing, give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I don't think I could tell you how often I have wanted to pop somebody in the side of the head for telling somebody something bad has happened to them is God's will. Why don't we tell people that when something good happens to them, church? You ever thought about that? Every time a tragedy comes, somebody wants to comfort by somebody. Oh, it's just God's will for you that you be a miserable human being. But yet when good things happen, we never say, hey, that's God's will for you. Celebrate it. There's what Paul is asking us to give a chance To give a chance that everything, that all the circumstances of our life could be from God's hand, including the good stuff. That when good things happen to us, it's okay because God wants us to be holy and happy and have a good life. But all too often, we turn that into occasions for thanking God that we're presently miserable. And that's not exactly what Paul is after. It's a good habit. But Paul wants us to celebrate good and bad with thankfulness toward God. But most of the time when somebody says, hey, I got a new job or I got a raise, they talk about how they earned it. They don't talk about how God has entered into their life and blessed them, do they? But if something bad happens, we're quick to blame that on God. And so Paul challenges us and says, what if you think about your whole life as a gift from God? And your whole life is God acting in and with and of and through you. How differently would that little span that we're given here on earth look? I wonder if we might get closer and closer to cherishing all 84 years instead of just looking back and remembering the good 20 that the man in that story asked for. But wait, there's more. Don't quench the Spirit in your life. Don't put out the fire of God in you, he says. You want a good life? Don't put out the fire of God. Don't despise the words of those who speak to you prophetically. Do and hold fast to what is good. Abstain from evil. In case you missed one, let's hear them one more time. You want a good life? Do these things. Encourage others. Build other people up. Love those that God puts in your life to lead you closer to God. Be at peace among yourselves. Admonish those who are doing nothing. Encourage people who are faint-hearted. Help people who are weak. Be patient with everyone. Don't repay evil for evil. But always do good to people. Rejoice over everything Pray over everything. Give thanks for everything in your life, including the good things. Don't quench the work of God in your life. And Paul says, you, dear one, will have a good life. Anybody here doesn't want a good life? 
Well, if you want one, that's how you get it, church. That's how you get it. It's not with a bigger bank account. It's not with more stuff, but that's how you get it. And you might have noticed that you have one of those funky titles that has an underline, something for you to write, a place for you to write. And the good news in this comes next. You don't have to suddenly have the strength to do these things. You don't suddenly have to come up within yourself to be able to do this stuff. You don't have to change your own heart. You don't have to change your own mind. Paul says God will do that for you. Listen to this verse, verse 23. May the God of peace Himself sanctify you entirely. That means make you holy. And if He makes you holy, you are made happy. Sanctify means to be set apart and be like God, to be different than we are now, to be made holy, to made to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. May God sanctify you, Paul says. He doesn't tell you to sanctify yourself. And then he says, may your spirit and your soul and your body be kept sound. That means complete and blameless. May you be preserved as blameless and complete, not by yourselves, not by your own actions, but by the holy action of God in your life. And then he says, the one who calls you is faithful. The one who is using Paul today to call you to a good life is faithful. That means he won't fail you, doesn't it? It means he won't turn his back on you, doesn't it? It means he won't forsake you when you screw up, doesn't it? It means that he will never ever leave you in the midst of something horrible and leave you abandoned to it. It means that He won't leave you in your disappointments. It means that He won't leave you in your distress. Because the one who has called you here today, the one who calls you into this good life is faithful. We call that one God, don't we, dear ones? Father, Son, and Spirit. The one who calls us is faithful. And listen, Paul says he will do this. He will sanctify you and give you the ability, the strength, and the desire to do all of these things that lead to a good life. A life that resembles the life of Jesus Christ. If you want a good life, let Him work in your life. If you want a good life, stop trying to build it for yourself and give Him room to work in you and change you. And take Paul at his word and chase after these things that he names. Stick a bookmark in your Bible at home and open this and remind yourself every once in a while that these are the things that we should be chasing after. Encouraging others and lifting each other up in all of those ways that He named. And then maybe, maybe we can get out of the trap that's been built for us in our society and believing 
that it's our teenage years and our sunshine years that matter and the rest is just a brutal work slavery that we just can't get any happiness out of. Maybe if we chase after these things and trust Paul's promises, which are the promises of God, maybe we can find that the good life can actually be all of life. I think it's worth a shot, church. If you think it's worth a shot, would you say amen? Give it a try. Be in the business of encouraging and lifting up. Let us test God in this and see if our lives don't seem good. If we don't find holiness and happiness. In the name of Christ, amen.